this flamboyant king may have inspired the codpiece. to Monarchs and Malarkey, the podcast where we take an alcohol-laden dive into the weird and quirky health histories and deaths of leaders throughout time. I'm your host, Danielle. I'm your co-host, Mike. And I'm your favorite co-host, Amanda. That's probably true. You uh, are. <laughs> I mean, no offense, Mike. <laughs> but like a little offense. A little offense. And I am already a little bit on the tipsy side because today is a fake made-up Mormon holiday known as Pioneer Day. Yay! Fuck Utah! Because they're, like, apparently the only pioneers in the history of the world, so they need their own special holiday. You know, except those pioneers that ate each other, but we don't talk about (laughs) them. We don't talk about them. We should do an episode on them. They're not really leaders, but the Donner Party had a leader, right? Mm -hmm. So we... Anyway. But for real, tonight we are going to talk about somebody who allegedly starved to death. (laughs) All right. So allegedly he was starved to death. So in honor of him, we are doing the opposite of starving. We are gluttonous (laughs) as shit tonight. We are being very gluttonous. We Uh, are total luscious. We have a, a smorgasbord tonight. We have beer. We have... A lovely sangria I made. Made from that really shitty-ass red wine from a couple episodes ago. Yeah, the Edward Longshanks wine was yeah. poopy, but we turned it into a really awesome sangria that features uh, herbs and fruit from my garden. So that's cool. I feel like royalty. You should feel like Especially royalty. with our little Debbie birthday cake snack cakes. Yep, yep. <laughs> Which we also have. We're pretty this, gross. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Little Debbie's. Oh, we wish. And we sugar. Wish. And sugar. Oh, and alcohol. Oh, my diabetes is on a roller coaster tonight. Okay, so let's get this shit started. Michael, tell us about who we're talking about tonight. We are talking about Richard II. Not to be confused with the really famous Richard III. They are two different people. When I was trying to do research... I would put in Richard 2, and Richard 3 would come up over and over again. Dude, me too. It was such a pain in the ass. There was a couple times where I'm like, wait, I don't think I'm reading about the right Richard right now. (laughs) His timeline's changing. (laughs) The doctor's been around. (laughs) The doctor has been around. He does like to mess with English history, so. A lot. A lot. Yeah, that's true. Continue. Go ahead, Mike. Do your thing. So Danielle is going to tell us a little bit about the lifestyles and happenings on in this era. I lied. Danielle, do your thing. (laughs) I don't know if it's really lifestyles. It's actually death styles. (laughs) So Death styles of the rich and famous. (laughs) And and literally everybody else. During Richard II's childhood, the Black Death had hit Europe. And I think most of us have heard about the Black Death, a.k.a. the Black Plague, unless you are actually living under a rock in which case you've probably heard about it anyway kind of a famous big to do so it only killed like millions of people yeah like Uh, what a fourth of the world population at the time we'll get there we'll get there so it arrived in europe in october of 1347 12 ships from the black sea docked at a sicilian port that would be in italy for all you americans (laughs) uh the port of messina and most of the sailors aboard the ships were dead the ones who actually managed to survive 
brought boats into the port instead of being intelligent and just not. How would you like to be the person who was working on the docks that day and this boat just pulls in and no one is alive? No, 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 there were people alive. It's just that most of them were dead. Yeah, there were like three people alive. (laughs) Well, somebody had to steer it into the port. They crashed it into the port I, I that can, day. I can imagine, though, like it like coming in, you just seen like one guy steering it and all these dead bodies hanging over the sides and all the guys at the port just like, oh, fuck. I, That's how horror movies start. I'm sorry, but for me, the real horror would be the smell. Oh, that too. The smell would be atrocious, but whatever the case may be. So most of the sailors were dead. The ones who were still alive were super, super sick and covered in black boils all over their bodies that were oozing blood and pus. So yeah, this is legit. Stay on your boat. You're in quarantine. Yeah. You remember an outlander when they're tossing people overboard because they're, they have smallpox. Uh huh. Yeah. This is, they weren't smart enough to do that (laughs) kind of thing. So everybody got it. So over the next five years, as a result, it would kill 20 million people in Europe. It's about a third of the continent's population. And it's estimated that as much as half of England's population got wiped out from the plague. Damn. Yeah. A lot of people had heard rumors about it. It was just known as a great pestilence at that point in time. So it kills a third of the people and it's only just rumors. Well, no, it hadn't yet. No, no. This is before the death ships got into Messina. Before the death ships. Pay attention, Michael. Okay. God, you must have sucked in history class. Well, (laughs) we're not going to talk about... (laughs) Michael's grades. C's get degrees. C's get degrees, kids, but they do not get you scholarships. Nope. All right. Anyway, so this great pestilence had been rumored to exist in the near and far east. And in the 1340s, it had indeed struck China, India, Persia, Syria, and Egypt. But Europeans had no idea just how bad this would be. One Italian poet, Giovanni Boccaccio, wrote, In men and women alike, at the beginning of the malady, certain swellings, either on the groin or under the armpit, waxed to the bigness of a common apple, others to the size of an egg, some more and some less, and these the vulgar named plague po- boils. Which, I'm, I don't think that's vulgar. Plague boils seems pretty... I just drank sangria right before you read that, and that was a mistake. There's no pus in there. You're fine. It looks like blood. You know, sangria means blood. Oh, fuck this shit. More wine for us. Drink. All right. Drink. (laughs) All right, I'm drinking. Oh, that is good. All right. It was indiscriminately contagious. There was no stopping this. Just touching clothes was, was giving people the plague, and... It was really efficient. It would kill you very, very quickly. There were people who would go to bed healthy, completely healthy, wake up the next morning, except they didn't because they were dead. <laughs> I, was like, I was about to be like, she's like, they woke up dead. It's like, they, they woke they up dead. Wake up. Yeah. Or if they did wake up, they woke up basically dead. I mean, it just, it would wipe people out very quickly. Isn't so. that where we get the bring out your dead? <laughs> Isn't that just from Monty Python? It's well, it's showing people during a plague yeah, or possibly it, a sweating sickness it's epidemic. It's rooted in yeah. history. What we now call the Black Death, well, we know now that it's a plague. It's spread by a bacillus called Yersinia pestis. And a bacillus is a rod-shaped bacterium. Okay, It's not a snake in Harry Potter. That's basilisk. basilisk. God, Michael. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> That's what I said. It's not. <laughs> Yes. yes, but you were making it 
sound like the like listeners would not know the difference between the Basilis. two. Basilus. You didn't know the difference. B a c i l l u s. It travels what we say call pneumonically, which means through the air. So like pneumonia gets the lungs. Pneumonically is travels when you cough or sneeze or blow your nose or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And it was also transmittable through the bites of fleas and ticks. Now, most people think that rats gave it to people, but it was actually the fleas on the rats spreading it, and then people get flea bites, animals get flea bites, and it spreads from there. I totally understand why this spread so quickly. In modern days, we know when you're in public and you sneeze or cough, you do it into your hand or... You, you don't do it so it contaminates other people. Well, hell, in, in modern days, if something like this came around, you'd be quarantined as fuck within 24 hours. But when we <laughs> like were, within a couple of hours, When really, we were in London fast. on the tube, I watched someone sneeze onto their hand and then put that hand back onto the pole that they were holding that everyone touches and holds when it's moving. Uh-huh. And I'm this like, is why we carried... that's how you spread the plague. Also, this is why we carry hand sanitizer around with us in London. Okay, we are not going to criticize <laughs> cultural norms, even if they bother us, okay? Even if they give us the black death. They're not going to give us the black death. Let, let's this be, time. Let's be a little hey, bit... Hey, to be fair, more. Americans do the same thing. A lot of Americans are really good. Well, it is more normal in in England and parts of Great Britain for people to not use a, a handkerchief or a tissue or anything, but... It's because they're not as gross as Americans. Americans are gross. <laughs> Americans are gross. All right. <laughs> I fully admit to that. So it spread super duper fast, as I'm sure you can imagine. Shortly after it hit Messina, it spread to Marseille in France, Tunis in North Africa, and from there it managed to spread to Rome and Florence... Also, American public school students in Italy. And by the middle of 1348, so just, you know, less than a year later, it was in Paris, Bordeaux, Lyon, and London. It seems really, really terrifying, but back then, their explanation for it was stuff like, it's a punishment from God. You have sinned! You have you sinned must and die. you must die. Yeah, even if you're a small little child. One doctor from then was quoted as saying, Instantaneous death occurs when the aerial spirit escaping from the eyes of the sick man strikes the healthy person standing near and looking at the sick. So really, they were pulling at massive strings here trying to figure out what was going so, on. So he's not that wrong. So, so you, you've got ghosts in your blood. <laughs> you've got <laughs> cocaine about it. Yes. Again, no cocaine there yet. <laughs> well, whatever. Okay. Uh, uh, laudanum. Laudanum. I you got ghosts in your blood. Do laudanum about it. They didn't even have laudanum yet to, to relieve pain or anything. So they tried really crude stuff to try to deal with it. They would lance the boils. They would try bloodletting. And this is actually a really good way to spread it and to introduce more infection. So not the best way to go. People would flee to the countryside. But when you've got a disease that spreads that quickly and easily, that's not going to do a damn thing. Uh, and not to mention it affects other animals. So you had sheep with it, you had cattle with it, you had goats and chickens. And, like, everybody was picking it up. Dogs were getting it. It was it was really Aww, devastating. Puppies. I know, I know. I don't give a shit about the humans. Oh, puppies. <laughs> but yeah, they thought it was a form of divine punishment because they thought that God was angry about the greed and blasphemy and heresy and fornication and worldliness going on. And it's just like, that's been an excuse 
for disease that exists even today in the minds of a lot of people they think things like oh you have aids because you're you're sinning with the way you have sex mm-hmm. things like that so that's not that's not just ancient history i was gonna say something but i remember our parents listened to this podcast so i'm not going to <laughs> Um, one of the solutions to that was to persecute people they thought were sinners. So thousands and thousands of Jews, for example, were massacred in 1348 and 39. And a lot of them ended up fleeing to Eastern Europe. And there's still a really heavy population of Jewish people there today. The Jewish people just never in history ever got any let up, did they? No, not really. There was a thing known as the flagellants who traveled from town to town and engaged in public displays of penance and punishment. They would beat themselves and each other with heavy leather strips, and they would be studded with sharp pieces of metal. The townspeople would look on while they whipped each other with it, and they would do this for three times a day, for 33 and a half days, and then they'd go to a new town and start over. And they really felt like this was a way of extricating themselves from the sinfulness it's a way to basically repent on behalf of everybody and this is not an unusual thing in catholicism especially you have nuns and priests who are flagellants or who would wear hair shirts that are super uncomfortable or they would wear stuff under their clothes that would poke them the way the thorns were supposed to have poked jesus's head with the crown i mean this was just a way to show penitence however the problem with a disease like like the plague, is it kills itself. It happens so quickly, it takes people out so quickly that after a while it has no way to expand. And so there's nobody left to carry it to someone else. So once all those people were dead, it was basically wiped out for the time being. I'm just saying, if you ever meet like one of those really hipster girls who are like, I was born in the wrong time period. I wish I'd been born and da 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 da. Tell them these stories. And remind them why it's a good reason they didn't live in this time period. Dear anti-vaxxers. <laughs> you think we have it bad now. Dear people who think essential oils will cure your bacterial infections. I mean, the fact of the matter is today, this disease does exist. It still is out there. It's not likely to infiltrate the U.S. and completely kill us all or anything like that. But now we know that antibiotics can help with this. And there have been reported cases of this, especially in in third world countries, still existing. It still happens. Did I describe exactly what it does? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure. But yeah, those, the Ring Around the Rosie song is said to either be about smallpox or about this. Which just brings a very, very dark turn to our childhood. Yeah. Well, most of our childhood is dark. We sing about dead people. Yeah. So. We still sing about dead people. Uh-huh. That's fair. Yep. And talk about dead people. I mean, that's exactly what we're doing. So, but yeah. So that's that's your lifestyle of the rich and poor. The who famous all died. Famous who, a lot of people died. And this is one of those times where it was actually beneficial to be a royal in that you weren't out and about in the streets picking up this disease. It was pretty bad. Poor Amanda's over here in shock. She's like, this is... <laughs> fucking gross i'm just saying like i'm like trying to drink this delicious sangria and all this kind of stuff and you're like puss blood lancing boils flayed skin yeah it's pretty gross it's pretty gross i don't think i said anything about flayed skin well like when you said they'd whip themselves yeah that's not really i guess it flays a little bit yeah yeah i'm thinking like 
A the nice flayed... strip of jerky off the... No, I'm just sorry. thinking the flayed men from Game of Thrones where they skin you alive and take your whole skin off. <laughs> <laughs> I was literally about to take a sip when you said that. And now I'm going to drink a sip of my beer where the foam looks like pus. <laughs> so, Richard II... Oh yeah, that's who we're talking about. <laughs> Poor Mike's over there like, can we just get going, please? 20 minutes into this. Patience of a saint. <laughs> Richard II was born January 6th, 1367 in Bordeaux, France. Richard is the only surviving son of Edward the Black Prince and Joan of Kent. Did you want to go into the Black Prince at all? Well, I don't have anything just specific on him, although he's a pretty cool character, but I have a family tree. You remember how, how Mike talked about, I don't know if you... Listen to that episode, but one episode we talked about how I had drawn family charts for Mike to follow. I was in that episode. Okay, I couldn't remember which one it was. I literally drew another one for this episode because it's a, it's a big family tree. And so. it all says Edward. No. And Henry. No. And, and Matilda. Matilda. Actually, there are no Matildas and only one Henry. I'm shocked. I know. So Edward the Third took the throne after Edward II died, who was the son of Edward I. We are not covering him. His death was really gruesome, but due to the circumstances under which it happened, we felt it would be much more respectful not to cover Edward II's death. But his son Edward III had a gajillion children. That's a literal number there. Gajillion. Gajillion. So the first son was another Edward, and that was the Black Prince. That's what happens when Godzilla has children. Yeah. That Edward would have been Edward the Fourth had he lived. He was known as the Black Prince. And then he also had daughters Isabella and Joan. He had a son, John. He had a son, William, Lionel, Edmund, Mary, and Margaret were other daughters. William, Thomas, Thomas. The reason there are two Williams and two Thomases is because three of those four died in infancy. I don't know why they would have given a new baby the same name as a dead baby, but for whatever reason they did. Because as we've discovered doing these podcasts, they're not they weren't creative. very good at coming up new names. So Edward III, his family line is going to come in later when Mike gets to some other stuff, and I'll go into more detail with that because there's a lot clogging up the works. But yeah, the point is Edward, the four, who would have been the fourth, died, and Richard II is who remains as the crown prince. So Richard was born a healthy baby, except for the rumor that he initially had no skin and had to be nourished in the skin of goats. <laughs> what? What? I know. I know. It's there's no no validity to that whatsoever. He may have been premature. But how are you born with no skin? So Black plague. Literally, <laughs> literally, your insides would just be going blah because there's nothing holding them in. When a baby's That's born, the premature, sound they make. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly right. Uh, when a baby's born prematurely, sometimes their skin is really dark, and it could be misconstrued for being muscle instead of skin, or for being the underlying layer. Gross. So, while Richard was young, the Hundred Year War with France was still continuing. Due to the heavy cost of the war, taxes were raised, which resulted in the Peasant Revolt. Dun-dun-dun-dun! Yeah! We, we have a Peasant Revolt on Facebook! We do! Richard supposedly met with the peasants at Smithfield and was able to talk the rebellion down. Yeah, he was actually pretty smart. Yeah. Kind of. There he was flexing his diplomatic muscles. Yeah, he did a good job with that. He was only 
I believe, 14 at the time. 14 years old, yep. Which is not what I was doing when I was 14. <laughs> we don't want to know what you were doing oh, when I know you what were 14. He was doing I don't want to know what he stupid. was doing. Being stupid. In 1376, Richard's father, Edward, died, leaving Richard's grandfather to inherit the crown. Um, Richard's grandfather to inherit the crown? I think you mean that the other way. Yeah, so Edward, so Edward died. No, I do mean that the other way. <laughs> Yeah. We've all had a bit to drink already. <laughs> Here, Grandpa, have the crown. You son of a bitch, that's my crown. <laughs> Edward III died, placing Richard as the king. There yeah, you go. So, Love you. Aww. So Richard always had an interest in the affairs of state, and he was able to arrange his own marriage. Yay! Whoa! Yeah, but also... To Anne of Bohemia, who mm-hmm. was the daughter of the Holy Roman Emperor, Charles IV. And they wed in 1381. And she was young. She was young. Richard... Usually in the royal families. Yep, she was like nine. Ew! It was not a consummated marriage when she was nine. I'm just going to throw that out there. Richard became really good friends with his uncle, John of Gaunt. John kind of really helped run things for him for a while. Richard was really interested in politics, but he was still young, and John was a lot older and more experienced. But John wasn't liked really by anybody, and it made a lot of the court upset with him. By 1385, Richard's relations with a lot of the other nobles at court were beginning to fall apart. And you know what? I take great exception to that. I know he was a good man. And you know why? Because Sir Patrick Stewart played him in a recent version of Richard yeah, II. that's why. Yeah. Yeah. He that, doesn't play no sissy nannies or buttheads. All that right? was the Shakespeare version. Yeah, I know. That's true. Just still. Anyway. Rooting for you, Johnny. <laughs> She's really just rooting for Patrick Stewart. <laughs> As are we all. In October 1386, the French planned an invasion of England. And oh, there's a surprise. Shocker! What? <laughs> and Michael de la Pole organized a defense along the coast, but needed more funds to do it. So he petitioned Parliament for an increase of taxes, but the... House of Commons asked for his resignation instead. (laughs) I was going to say, rude. (laughs) Hey, I need some money to defend us against France. Um, you're fired. What? (laughs) We'll take it from here. Wait a minute, was this like actually academia? Yes. (laughs) I don't know. I want to do things to help the students. No, you're fired. Wait, uh, you want money to provide for your students? I'm sorry. <laughs> you want money to help with this thing for your country? No. No, nah, it's cool. <laughs> Richard came to the defense of De La Pole, but he eventually folded under pressure and De La Pole was replaced. Are you doing under pressure? <laughs> yes. At this point, Richard began to feel that Parliament was against him. I, I broke Amanda this I'm episode. Sorry. I'm already on my third glass, and we're only a half hour in the recording. 
This is, this is going to be a long one, folks. Our bonus episode's going to be so rich. It's yep. Be so <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay, I'm going to be a really good girl, and I'm going to be mostly quiet. Nice! So it's my turn. Okay. Spoiler alert. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Shut up. Yes, but he can edit things out. <laughs> I don't think he should. I think we're hilarious. Shh. Is it? <laughs> so Richard... Retreated to the Midlands to secure more supporters and secure his power base. Because in Parliament, there were the Lords Appellant who started gaining more power. And these were a group of nobles who sought to minimize King Richard's power and impeach some of his favorites. Richard sent his friend Robert de Vere with an armed force against lords, but he was defeated at Radcott Bridge on December 20th, 1387. The appellants then seized control of London, and sensing his defeat, Richard returned to London humiliated. The appellants purged the court of Richard's allies, either by execution, which is a bit extreme, or they were just dismissed. By the- You either die, or you're just fired. Or you're just fired. It's just what pick out of the hat. Cake or death. <laughs> Cake or death. By spring of 1389, the appellants had subsided a bit, and Richard ha- was gaining more control of the court. Several of the appellants' ministers and officers had been replaced, and Richard crafted a manifesto promising better governance and lower taxes. <laughs> Doesn't every king pull that out of their butt at some point? Yes. So things were going well for the next five years, and Richard was honoring the promises that he made. Taxes were down, he signed a truce with France, and Richard widened his circle of favorites to include a lot more people. And Richard also started playing a lot of mind games. He sought to elevate the status of the king by implementing new forms of address, such as Your Majesty... And your highness. Isn't your highness, well, I'm not going to say isn't, because I know your highness is more the standard for people who aren't the king yet, for princes and princesses. Majesty is for the king and queen. Right, so he was creating this kind of psychological hierarchy that people are referring to. You know, he's at top with your majesty. His kids are going to be prince, your Mm -hmm. highnesses. You know, I actually didn't know that. And dukes and such not are your grace. That's interesting. I didn't know he started that. Yeah, he was the one who started implementing those. I'll start calling you one of those, but only if I can say your hiney. No, I am a majesty. No, you're my hiney. (laughs) 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 This is a very strong sangria. You're at the tail end of the family chain there, kiddo. You're the... The hiney, I think. The caboose. Yeah, but I got a cute caboose. That's true. He also... That will built... be on Inst- Instagram. <laughs> he's so done with us right now. <laughs> Amanda's hiney <laughs> will be on Instagram. That's our first episode of the night, and he's already so done with us. <laughs> he also began adding more ritualization to being the king, adding more pomp to court protocol, and building more of the religious mystique of being a monarch. Again, it's a lot of these mind games of building up his own importance. He also coined the phrase, it's good to be the king. Yeah. I just totally totally made that up. But (laughs) 
He, it would be cool if he did. He also really, he was quite spangly. He loved wearing jewelry and fine, fine woven clothing with pretty colors and soft, frilly things on it. He was very different from the king's previous. Is this where they had cod pieces? Because I feel like if they did, he would have the biggest cod piece. <laughs> <laughs> like encrusted with jewels. Oh my god. This might be the wrong time. <laughs> Giant ruby right in the middle. Oh, oh dear. I'm You're looking just, that up, aren't you? I am. I don't like cod pieces. So, no one likes cod pieces. No, cod pieces need to make a comeback. No, we had that kind of thing for a while. It's called a jockstrap and, and they're gross. And also, no, that was, that's later. That's or 15th and 16th centuries where that becomes a, a thing. Just so he was ahead of his time. He was <laughs> There is no validity to the statement Richard II invented cod pieces. Don't at me. I believe it. <laughs> All of these efforts reportedly paid off when he set off on an expedition to Ireland in 1394. Ireland was not happy with <laughs> everyone else at this time. What? So Richard went over there to spread the love. Was Ireland ever happy? Not with England, no. Yeah, God, like, no. I feel like that doesn't even need to be said at any point, because no. they're just never happy. Well, apparently they were, and this is a quote that I got from... Okay, by they, you mean like a couple of people in charge of Ireland, not Irish people. Well, this is a quote that I'm going to read from Britannica, where I got a lot of this information. So this is the quote. The native Irish were overawed by the presence of an English king, and the local chieftains, or in quotes, high kings, all attended the court in Dublin to submit to his authority. I just don't believe this that. This sounds like, like, you know, medieval times U.S. weekly tabloid right? shit. National Enquirer bullshit. Like, it's not actually true, but they want people to think that. Mm -hmm. They showed up for the photo op, but no one was happy. Yep. Yeah, basically. Then in July 1397, Richard ordered the arrest of four senior appellants and cited their past rebellion against him for the charges. Two of them were executed, and two of them were exiled to the Isle of Man. Nice. He really liked killing people. I mean... I mean, a lot of kings did. Yeah. I guess that's fair. That's how you keep powers. You kill off or exile your critics, right? Okay, Cersei Lannister. Right? Good thing you ain't king. I would be a terrible king. You'd be an awful king. It's okay, I'd be a terrible queen. That following January, splinter factions were becoming more apparent and infighting began to break out. Two of the big ones were Henry Bolingbroke and Thomas Mowbray. And I have their family info here. You ready? Danielle is going to tell us about them. As we said, Edward III had a shit ton of children. If you follow the family line, his son Lionel, the Duke of Clarence, the first Duke of Clarence, had a daughter... Philippa, who was the fifth Countess of Ulster, which is in Ireland, Northern Ireland, to be specific, these days. Philippa had a son, Mortimer, and Mortimer had a daughter, Anne Mowbray. And that's going to come in later. That's important because Anne married Richard, Earl of Cambridge, and that started the Yorkist line. And then uh, the marriage of... And for those of you who have a short attention span like me, we will have pictures up on the social medias that you can follow along with. 
Yeah, but the fact that she's Anne Mowbray lets me know that somewhere in that little mix there, one of Lionel's kids ended up being a Mowbray, and I can't believe I didn't get the detail on that, but that's where the Mowbray line comes from. And then one of Edward's other sons was Edmund, Duke of York, and his son Richard, Earl of Cambridge, and John of Gaunt's son is Henry Bolingbroke. John of Gaunt is one of Edward III's sons many sons so they're cousins richard and bolingbroke yeah they're cousins and he's also cousins with mowbray or at least tied into the mowbrays so they had a dispute that was to be settled by trial by combat yeah i wish we could still do that i know we need to bring that back i know hashtag bring back trial by combat melania trump i challenge you to a duel do it My sister is little, little, but she is mighty. <laughs> the trial was going to commence, but Richard canceled it at the last second and instead was like, okay, JKLOL, Bolingbroke, you are exiled for 10 years and Mowbray, you are Mowbray. exiled. Mowbray, you are exiled for life. Forever. Forever. Which, by the way, what a dick move. You guys are going to fight till one of you are dead. Just kidding. Way to ruin it for the crowd. Right? All those people were so excited. God. Those little squires are like, I'm going to get famous. No. So, Mowbray. 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 <laughs> There's a big difference there. Mowbray. <laughs> it's just like the third time that that's happened and I just find it funny. I have the pronunciation in my brain and that's where it stays. Mowbray died the next year. He was going to go on a crusade, but he never made it. Poor guy. Poor guy. So Ireland was on the brink of another rebellion. No. I told you they weren't happy. Yeah, apparently Richard's um, peacocking didn't really do it for them. Probably because his peacock was covered with a goddamn codpiece. (laughs) So you admit. Bejeweled with a giant ruby. (laughs) That he got from Edward Longshank's coffers. So one of the Infinity Stones. It was passed down the line. Where it remains today. You don't want to know where the queen keeps them. (laughs) Yes, yes I do. I really do. So Ireland was on the brink of another rebellion. So Richard went to go deal with it again. While he was away, Brolingbroke just returned from exile. Brolingbroke. Yeah. He began, he came back from exile and just began to kind of start taking things over, asserting his leadership, gaining support from other nobles. And by the time Richard was on his way back from Ireland, most of the support had abandoned him. Mm -hmm. And in August, Richard surrendered to his cousin. His cousin then summoned Parliament to begin a draft for articles of of deposition Richard was removed as king and sent to the Tower of London. And Danielle's going to tell us more about what happened there. I think we should write a song about the Tower of London one of these days to play every time we talk about it. Like Mel Brooks has the Inquisition. Anyway, uh, so we're actually going to split this part up a bit. A little bit. Bolingbroke had a lot more support up north than he did down south. So he decided to move Name Richard. Name of your sex tapestry. <laughs> Thank God. Michael, you're fired. Leave. (laughs) Hi, Mom. 
Alright. Hi, Dad! Actually, I don't think Mom and Dad are listening at all. I haven't heard oh, from Mom either of them. Oh, Mom told me she started listening to it. Oh, okay. I don't know about Dad and Mom started doing it. Alright. Anyway. Please donate to our Patreon. <laughs> we don't have one yet. So, Richard II gets taken from the Tower of London to Leeds Castle, which is in Kent, and it's about 49 miles northwest of London. And then... Bolingbroke's like, actually, I want him in Pontefract Castle, which is about 17 miles away from Leeds Castle, down south of Titch and to the east. So he takes him to Pontefract Castle. And in one way or another, Richard II ends up dead on Valentine's Day, but it wasn't Valentine's Day yet, the 14th of February, 1400. And there are many different versions to how he died. So Amanda's going to talk a little bit about one of those versions and who it was that made that version up. There's like a lot. There are a lot. There was a lot of speculation. The main historical belief that most people go with is that he starved to death. There is like some people who think that it was just that he starved to death because he was in prison. Others think it was actual murder. They purposely starved him to death so that he would suffer. We do know that he was there for about four months, which is, you know, an adequate time to like starve to death. But every single version I read had a different story, and a different person who did it. Right, and the problem with starvation is that the official record didn't declare he was refusing food till 10 days before his death. Yeah, which and you're not going to starve You're not going to starve to death in 10 days. It can take months yeah. to starve to death, like Amanda said. So, If you're refusing water, that will take just water. You can Without water, you can die in like four days. But Without water, it can take up to 10 days, though. So if he was refusing water, too, then maybe. But there was only record that he refused food, not water. A lot of people said that they thought that it was on Henry's order to do it, to mm-hmm. starve him. Yep. Um, because he was threatened that Richard was still around. He just wanted to get him out of the way. There are also records that one of Henry's knights, Sir Pierce Exton, did it. Some say that he did it under Henry's orders. Some say that he did it on his own because he thought that was the patriotic thing to do for his king. Starved, starved him or killed him? Both. Okay. There are rumors that he was put on like he was starved, but he was actually poisoned. There's even a couple of accounts of him being brutally murdered, but... Yeah, so I've got one account by a man named Hollinshed, who claims he was killed by a poleaxe. But the reason that doesn't make any sense at all is after he died, Henry actually displayed the body for the commoners to see he had not murdered their king. Yeah, his body was exposed so the public could see, and from all the accounts, there was no sign of actual violence to his body. He just looked sick. Plus, spoiler alert, his bones, of course, got dug up later, and there was no sign of any type of wound on the body. Yeah. So it's most likely that he was either starved or poisoned. Which we wouldn't see record of either of those on the bones, right? Okay, so here's the thing. If he had been starved to death... Depending on how long it took, there would potentially be markings on the bones, but probably not because it was just, it happened so quickly, the bones wouldn't have had enough time to grow enough to show that kind of damage. The poison is very, very likely because it would be very easy to chop up toadstools known as death caps and throw them into anything he was eating. And it actually does take about 10 days to kill someone. So where you've got a record on this day saying he's refusing food, and then 10 days later he is dead, chances are leaning towards good that it was, in fact, poisoning by toadstool. There was also some really funny accounts that 
people had rumors going around that he was actually still alive and that he had escaped. Mm-hmm. And the body that they'd shown wasn't his. But all of the follow-up on all of those rumors, Henry then announced that whoever it was they caught was an imposter. It wasn't actually Richard himself. If you're writing books about kings and queens of England, like white princess and white queen, then it actually is the real guy and well, that makes is a bad thing. But yeah, that's it's very fictionalized. So Makes for good television. Yeah. Well, that's actually what... One of the things I was going to talk a little bit about was a couple of artistic portrayals of Richard's death. Although he's not a talked about, I feel like, king as often as a lot of the other kings who are really well known, there was a lot of art and other such things that portrayed his death. Yeah. There's a very famous painting called The Death of Richard II that was painted by Francis Wheatley sometime between 1792 and 1793. So this is almost 400 years after his death. Um, it was commissioned as a part of a art exhibit that was doing the history of England up until that point. And this painting, we're, we're going to put a photo of it up on our social medias, is very dramatic. You see you see Richard all sprawled out and a bunch of guards who are like about to hack him to pieces. And it's very, very violent and most definitely not the way that he actually died. And it actually, the painting went under a little bit of scrutiny because the artist didn't actually portray the right way he died and the artist later admitted that he just did it because it was far more interesting than a painting of someone starving (laughs) (laughs) but a lot of people also think he got his inspiration from Shakespeare's version of Richard II which is one of his histories one of his famous plays found out some interesting stuff about it that I didn't know though such as the plays takes place in the last two years of Richard's life Mm mm-hmm It's greatly dramatized, as per Shakespeare. They cut out a lot of stuff, like him transferring from Tower of London to another castle, you know, Leeds Castle to the new one. They just skip all of that. And instead of having him be there for four months, starve, whatever, they have Exton basically immediately go and murder him. Yeah. But what I didn't know was that at the time, it was written at some point in the 1590s, it was actually considered one of Shakespeare's most politically controversial works he ever did. It was produced in Elizabethan England, obviously. It had supporters of the Earl of Essex who paid Shakespeare's company to perform the play the day before Essex marched on London to force an audience with the Queen. (laughs) This act was known as the Essex Rebellion, which ended the same day it began with a brief skirmish. Essex was captured, tried for treason, and executed. Mm -hmm. As a result, the English royalty seemed to view the play with a lot of suspicion and hatred for decades. Shakespeare kind of risked his neck Mm -hmm. to produce this and almost had it go under because the royalty was so angry about it. And then he turned around and wrote a bunch of stuff to really please the royalty, like writing Richard III into a monster. Uh Uh-huh. Well, and that's the thing, is if you ever read uh, Shakespeare's version of Richard II, or if you've ever seen it, it definitely portrays Richard as this poetically like tragic hero type character Mm -hmm. he is very much put in the good light and that his death is a really sad tragic thing which is interesting because henry the fourth the father of this is henry bolingbroke henry the fourth he's Mm going to be is the father of shakespeare's quintessential hero henry five so it's kind of weird it's kind of weird and He also portrays Henry, who took over from Richard II, 
in the play as being very paranoid and scared of Richard. He mm -hmm. has Exton go to kill him because he thinks that Richard is going to haunt him till he's dead. All this kind of stuff. So he portrays Henry in this really dark light and Richard in this really yeah. heroic light. Which really is not necessarily the case of actual history. I mean, it is tragic. He was only 33. He, yeah, he was kind of greedy and flamboyant, but he, he was trying to do a good job. Yes, but when people think of Richard II and everything, they really think of the really dramatic murder and death of Richard in the play, and it spawned things like Francis Wheatley's painting, but it's just not true. No. So Richard II's body was eventually buried in a tomb at Westminster Abbey in Edward the Confessor's chapel. His uh, jawbone apparently was stolen by a Westminster schoolboy. What? Yes. Ah! Yeah. According to the Dean of Canterbury, Gerard Andrews, he wrote this in 1766, the tomb, as is often the case, had cracks. The pillows under the heads of him and his wife had fallen off, basically. They'd come apart with age, and people could reach into the tomb. And allegedly, this little schoolboy stole a jawbone known as a mandible. That's the lower jaw. And when his tomb was opened again... Under the instructions of Queen Victoria in 1871, the bones were in complete disarray. His wife Anne's body was nearly gone. Hers was the closest to the opening that people so could reach people in. People just kept reaching in there and, and taking stealing bones. bones. Yeah, and that's how curses. That's how curses absolutely yeah. start. <laughs> so it was documented that indeed his mandible was missing. And now we're going to play a little quiz game called. Tell me the common name of this body part. Oh my Ready? gosh, I'm like on my third sangria. I don't know what I don't know what that was. It was a game show. You folks can play at home too. Wheel up. No, sorry. Okay, so we already said this one, but I'm gonna say it again to see how much attention you were paying. Oh, you know what, Michael? You can have a kazoo for this one because when you when you're ready to guess, blow into your kazoo and I'll call on you. Oh, it's a combat oh damn it. Yeah, it's a contest. God damn it. Here we go. Ready? Are you ready? Get your... She's ready. She's got I'm it ready. up to her mouth. I'm ready. All right. Mandible. <laughs> yes, Amanda. It's a jaw. It is a jawbone. But which jawbone? The lower jaw? Yes. That yeah. is correct. Okay. <laughs> I totally made that up. Also missing time. was his clavicle. What is a clavicle? <laughs> oh. My kazoo's broken. You, you don't know how to hum into it right. You know what? I'm going to give it to Mike because he did try first, but you have to hum into it. So what is a clavicle? <laughs> There you go. <laughs> What's a clavicle? The clavicle is also your shoulder blade. That is incorrect. No, it's <laughs> it's like your collarbone. Collarbone, that, that is correct. That was my second guess. Ha! Loser. What? And also missing, what is the scapula? <laughs> Michael? That was my last answer. Which is? The shoulder blade. That is correct. <laughs> I got hey. them mixed up. You sure did. Yeah, sure he did. All right. There also were a few ribs gone, but we're not going to quiz on that Aww. because the an the anatomical terms the same as I was really hoping that a phalange was going to be gone just because <laughs> I love that word. Do you uh, know what a phalange is, Michael? I do know what a phalange What's is. What's a phalange? They're like your fingers and toes. There's a bones yeah, that like are right in there. Bones. It's these ones. No, it's yeah. just like your finger bones. That's your, yeah. Those are tarsals and carpals. Yeah. The ones and in there. These and are tarsals. Yeah. I just realized the people listening can't see can't what see. I'm pointing to. If you want to know what those mean, go look it up. All right. Uh, so that's that was what was missing. But then there are also random objects placed inside oh. the tomb. 
Why not? So people like put their Pokemon cards in there? Yes, in the, in the 19th century. All right, so we're going to play... Yes, tr- in the 19th century. It was probably the doctor. Okay, so was. I have a small list of items found in the tomb, and we're going to play true or false. Was this item actually found in the tomb? Okay. True or false? A coin. You don't have to buzz. Oh you gosh. can both guess. You hum. What is so hard about humming? <laughs> okay. Yo. Okay. This true. is why I can't You each get to... You don't have to blow the kazoo. True or false... There was a coin. False. People would never give money to dead people. Except for that Amanda, what's your answer? I'm going to say true. True. There were actually multiple coins. Why wouldn't they give coins to their dead royalty? They gave coins to like put on people's eyes, but that was was a different part of the world. (laughs) You never heard about that? Yes, I heard about that. I just have no (laughs) idea why that has anything to do with anything. Okay. Because so, if someone died, I would not give them money. You realize this started in, like, Greece, right? It yeah. was paying to get over the river Styx? Yeah. I'm not yeah. giving dead people money. Okay, fine. Well, fine. When you die, I will put coins over your eyeballs. Okay. So, so true. You can just stay on the river Styx forever. I will party there. That's our timer bell. We're almost out of time. So, true or false, there was a handkerchief found inside. False. False. True. Oh. There was a handkerchief found inside. True or false? A student notebook. True. False. It is false. Damn it! There I was suck no at this. Notebook. It's okay. <laughs> I can even look over her shoulder, but I'm too tipsy to read her handwriting. <laughs> okay, so that concludes this portion of the quiz show. And... It is said that he was the last of the Angevin Plantagenets, but that's not really actually true. It's just that the family line from Bolingbroke on would split into the Lancasters and the Yorks, and the Mowbrays are the Yorkists. The Bolingbroke line will be is combined into the Lancastrian yeah, line. My mom's a Yorkist. So they're all they're all Plantagenets. That's also your mom. <laughs> they just have different branches. That is Shut up, Michael! Love you, Mom. And it's your mother-in-law. <laughs> and this concludes tonight's drunken episode. I apologize. <laughs> I drank before we recorded and throughout the entire thing. Don't this apologize. This sangria is really good. Oh, you're welcome. I'm really proud of it. Okay. Thanks for listening. If you made it this far. Congratulations. You earn a gold star. Make sure to listen to our new bonus monthly bonus episodes anthropology where the drunken anthropologist tries to teach people shit which is danielle and michael and i will sit there in awe (laughs) we will ask layman questions and Uh, i come for the sangria you can find us on social media on facebook monarchs and malarkey we are on twitter at monarch malarkey and we are also on Instagram. You can either search hashtag monarchs and malarkey or just search for our username monalarkey. M O N A M A R. You just, just spelled that wrong. I did. M O N A L A R K E Y. Yeah, just delete me, drunkenly try to spell shit. And if you have any fun ideas for an interesting leader we should cover, make sure that they have a weird health history or death involved. And you can email us, monarchsandmalarkey, all one word, at gmail.com. And remember, after we do this season, we will also be doing leaders of different parts of the world. So if you have interesting leaders from other times in history, other countries, please, please send them. Send them in. We've already gotten one. We're waiting to hear more from you. 
Stay tuned for the bonus episode, and also we'll have some special guests coming on soon. It's not just me. No. Peace out, peasants. That's not it. What is it? I don't remember. Catch you on the flip side. Oh yeah, catch you on the flip side, peasants.